We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Manchester City gives their players basically two options when it comes to the international break. Pretend to be injured or injured Arsenal players. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Pithy, Black Manchester Ink Gunner. I think I said injured. I meant injure Arsenal players, right? So your option is you can pull a Holland and just, ooh, my groin hurts. Or you can pull a Rodri and try to kill uh, Martin Odegaard, which is what he did the other day. Uh, interestingly, not a penalty for that either. <laughs> Which, I mean, you got all kinds of things wrapped up in there. But yeah, it is it is um, an interesting international break. And by interesting, I mean nothing of note is happening other than Manchester City players are pulling out of playing and Arsenal players are being exposed to constant uh, match action. Bukayo Saka uh, did come off, I think, for the last 10 minutes of the first England game. We're recording before the Ukraine match when uh, I am sure Bukayo and uh, Zinchenko will accidentally run into each other uh, causing both of them to shatter their knees and have to retire from football at full time. But uh, we don't have the news on that yet, so we can't report on that. Um, yeah, I, uh, Phil Foden has appendicitis. It is pretty funny because I had my appendix taken out. They do that surgery laparoscopically now. They don't do open surgery. I mean, I guess there are situations where they would do open surgery, but I'm assuming that he'll have it done laparoscopically. And reading some of the timelines suggested on the internet, like he could miss four to six weeks. Like, no, he he's he's not going to miss four to six weeks unless something goes badly wrong, which of course we hope doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, it would not surprise me if he's back very very soon. But might miss the Liverpool game, and to the extent that that could be a challenge for Manchester City, you know, we'll we'll take what we can get. So. I think what we'll do is we'll do a quick roundup of any kind of news that's percolating over the international break. We'll talk a little bit about the run-in. We'll get to the uh, the derby because Arsenal women have followed Arsenal men in doing the double over Tottenham Hotspur, uh, although doing it in quite a bit more style, you might say. So we'll get to that, uh, along with uh, a few other bits and pieces, Fuller and Balogun wrapping himself in the American flag and... Uh, you know, we'll talk about the implications for that as well. So here with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. You should have added actually to that Erdegaard Rodri. Not only did Erdegaard not get the penalty, he was booked for protesting. 
So no way, I missed go. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. So I mean, it's like another day in the Premier League, just <laughs> exactly. on international duty, basically. Just yeah, a little, and a little taste of what's to come for us, I think. Man, you know what? Like, it, maybe, maybe, maybe that just gives him that extra five percent in the uh, in the coming trip to the Etihad, though. Uh, and uh, here as well is is Paul Ekvad on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hold pause. Clive has been given some time to think about what he's done. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll get back to him when he's had a good think about that. Uh, I do want to also point out that I was, uh, Tim, I don't know if you heard me um, maybe overgilding the lily in my praise for you covering women's football. Um, I, on the I last did, episode. yes, on the mailbag, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. However, uh, in saying that we like to point people to that content uh, of Andrew's, Apparently, I swallowed the last syllable of that, and there's been a clip going around <laughs> of me calling Andrew a see you next Tuesday. So I assure you that uh, is not what was intended. But on his Patreon, they do a waffle podcast where they asked which one of us uh, from the Arsenal Vision Pod they would bring with them on the zombie apocalypse. And the one thing I'm they were able to that. agree on, yeah, 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 yeah. The one thing they were able to agree on is not Elliot. So you know, <laughs> maybe the see you next Tuesday comment was well earned. Paul got a vote. Uh, Clive got a vote for tactics, which I thought was interesting that Clive could say, you know, when the zombie guts this way, you know, <laughs> this is the run that you want to make. I, I don't know. I don't know. If Basically, they, they all thought what we all think that Paul would probably be handier with a rifle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Than a microphone. <laughs> you, you Where, have my where's attention. the mute button on this rifle? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know how to turn off the mute button. He doesn't know how to turn on the safety. Those are the two things you could say about Paul. Um, okay. Well, Tim, let's just start with this. Um, it's, it's nice when you can look at Tottenham Hotspur and, and say they're complete shit because they have failed mm-hmm. to take a single point off Arsenal men or women this season. Um, the, the men have done the double. Women have done the double quite stylishly. Do you want to give us just a little lowdown on um, another Arsenal victory over yeah. uh, Topspur the other day? <laughs> yeah, so they, they beat them 5-1 away on Saturday. And that that's not enormously unusual. They beat them 4-0 at home. They've beaten them 6-1 before. They beat them 5-1 last season. Go um, on. <laughs> <laughs> they, they tend to do this uh, quite a bit. But what was more impressive about this particular victory was that it was sandwiched between two legs of a Champions League quarterfinal against Bayern Munich. So on Wednesday night, they played at the Allianz. Um, familiar feeling <laughs> in that Arsenal lost, um, but only 1-0. And, and actually, they were really, really unlucky, uh, particularly in the second half, not to score. I think they created something like 1.5 or 1.6 XG and didn't score. Mm. Um, so that they, they're chasing the second leg at Emirates Stadium on Wednesday, for which there are tickets still available, by the way. Um, so this game came between two massive games um, in the Champions League. And Arsenal haven't been beyond the quarterfinal for, I think, 11 or 12 years now. since they've Was been it Barcelona last final. season? Uh, Barca, they played in the group stage last oh, season. That's right. It was that's actually right. uh, Wolfsburg that knocked them out. Right, right. I remember I watched that game, actually. Um, but yeah, so so they were really unlucky to lose in Munich, but this game was sandwiched in between. One of the things that happened in this game as well is Tottenham have given up putting these at the big stadiums. That's kind of the point that the league has in mind. Like, it's not a mistake that they put the North London derby during the men's international break. That's very deliberate. You also had Manchester City-Chelsea today. 
Um, and that result has actually blown the title race wide open because Man City beat Chelsea. And that really means you've got four teams absolutely going out for the title in Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal. If Arsenal win all of their games, they will win the league. It's just those games include Chelsea away, Manchester United away. They play Manchester City away on Sunday. So it's very, very like intense fixture list, like lots going on. But in this game, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and in this game, like Tottenham didn't play at, at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, because they always get battered there, as indeed they get battered everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. Um, but well their <laughs> their women play at Leighton Orient's ground, uh, Brisbane Road, which is an absolute bog of a pitch at the moment. In fact, there was meant to be a game on there again today, and it's been called off. Um, because it's a very bumpy pitch. And obviously Spurs kind of did that on purpose. They wanted a smaller ground. They wanted a rubbish pitch. And obviously that worked really well for them because they lost 5-1. <laughs> so for, from Arsenal's perspective, given that um, they lost like two Ballon d'Or nominees in attack, the player that finished second and the player that finished ninth in last year's Ballon d'Or, uh, missing um, for the rest of the season due to ACL injuries, you know, to go and win 5-1, anywhere is is pretty good business but yeah Arsenal have hit they've hit a bit of a patch of good form um particularly they won the Conti Cup a few weeks ago which is the equivalent of the League Cup and in the Mm -hmm. women's game that's a that's still a bit that's not quite the same as the League Cup in the men's game it they have a group stage and that is very much men's League Cup no one plays mm-hmm. um, their full teams actually Arsenal and Chelsea don't have to do it because they're in the Champions League so they get a bye into the knockout round so it's like but because there are f- like three very big clubs who all want to win stuff like the League Cup is actually a bigger thing um, and Arsenal won it uh, earlier this month they beat Chelsea in the final big psychological hurdle they hadn't won a trophy in nearly four years they kept losing to Chelsea in big games so they broke like a significant psychological hurdle and they've looked really really good ever since and basically it looks like they've kind of recovered from when they lost Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemer it wasn't just about the quality of player they lost those two players played pretty much every game for the last five years so like mm. this team just didn't know how to play without them just on a chemistry basis so th- they've gotten over that now um, I think he says after they beat Spurs <laughs> 5-1 um, but, <laughs> but, but Tottenham are having like a really miserable season which I'm sure will um, really hurt and annoy everyone <laughs> um, they, they kind of they finished fifth last year which is very much considered like best of the rest territory and then this year they've completely collapsed uh, they just sacked their manager because they lost nine games in a row, got dragged into the relegation battle, wow. um, albeit only one team goes down. So unfortunately, like the relegation battle is, and they beat the team at the bottom uh, last week. So that's kind of done them all right. But they, they really got dragged down there and they've really kind of, um, you know, quite similar to the men in that they had this season last year. Everyone thought, oh, this is a building block. This is something to build on. No, it wasn't. <laughs> They've been terrible, um, and and we gave them a good shoeing five one. So uh, and because the game was won very convincingly, they got to take some players off with like twenty thirty minutes to go, um, and kind of rest them ahead of well, give them a little bit of rest ahead of Wednesday night when they played Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich had a massive game on Saturday. They played Wolfsburg. 
Um, and that's very much in um, kind of Liverpool. If you imagine Liverpool, Man City mm-hmm. over the last few years, it's very like Bayern were one point behind Wolfsburg at the top and they beat them. So they've now gone top and they will probably win the league because the way the German league is, the, the league is basically decided by those games. So Bayern on one hand, big high. They've won a massive game. They're top of the league. They're favourites to win. On the other hand, uh, also like quite a big effort. Um, I think they won it late. Um, so, you know, it basically the tie on Wednesday night is massively, massively in the balance. And if Arsenal play like they did in the first leg, I do think they'll win. Because uh, they created enough in the first leg. But yeah. Yeah. And I guess, uh, is it already known who they'll be playing in the next round? Yeah. Yeah, so they'd play the winners of uh, PSG versus Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg mm. are probably going to go through. They won their first leg against PSG 1-0 away. PSG are, um, again, stop me if this sounds familiar, bit of a car, very, very talented, bit of a car crash of a team. Mm. Nobody likes each other. Um, you know, like actual like police being involved in stuff that I can't really talk about because it's still subject to like legal process and all of that. And like, so yeah, like, they're, they're staying true to their USPs. Yeah, yeah, basically. So they've got loads and loads of good players, but lots of them really, really hate each other and are leaving and stuff like that. So I, I think Wolfsburg are going to go through in that one. So yeah, it, it, it's either going to be Wolfsburg v Bayern again. Um, over two legs or uh, be a repeat of last year's quarterfinal Arsenal v Wolfsburg and I think you get a good idea of how far Arsenal have come because they've looked much better in the Champions League this year they look like they're really learning how to play in the competition and they're going through that process and they've learned from mistakes from last year and everything like that so that would be a really really good kind of gauge I think because Wolfsburg for people who don't know I know Wolfsburg in the men's game aren't any great shakes in the women's game they're a, they're an absolute superpower um they've won the Champions League a few times they usually win the Bundesliga yeah, and if I remember, because I, I do remember watching one of the legs of that tie last year, and what surprised me is I think it was the first half of the away leg maybe where Arsenal just looked outclassed, not yeah. not up to the level required, and then came to grips with it a bit. But it, it you could see that the game seemed a little beyond them, actually. And I, I'm curious, was that... Is that is my recollection correct? And it, you know, is that sort of the, what you're talking about when you're saying we're much better poised for this competition now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's uh, you know, look, Wolfsburg have loads of quality um, and, and have done for a very long time. Um, but at the same time, they're just mega experienced in this competition. They usually get to the semi final or the final. Uh, like, unfortunately for them, Leon have just been this kind of monolith. And essentially what happens nearly every year is Leon knock Wolfsburg out. Like historically, Leon have been best team in Europe, Europe and Wolfsburg have been the second best. That's changing a little bit now. There are a lot of lot more teams coming up to the mark. Um, but last year I think it was very much like a know-how type thing. It was like Wolfsburg were just like, we do this every year and you guys don't. Um whereas now this would be, if we got through to play them, you know, this would be like our third consecutive year. Well, this is our third, con- fourth out of the last five seasons that we've been in the Champions League knockout. So, like, we're beginning, I think, to build a bit of that IQ now. Mm. Well, obviously, uh, you said there's some tickets available for the Bayern 
home leg and uh, tickets for the men's game right now are like gold dust, nearly impossible to come by. So maybe the answer is get yourself down to the Emirates for Arsenal v. Bayern in the Women's Champions League and like, you know, get a, get a feel for the Arsenal good feeling right now. And, uh, you know, Absolutely. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a beautifully poised time because Arsenal are chasing it a bit. Like a, just a big engaged crowd will, will will make a lot of difference. It really will. So same rules, no no way goals rule anymore in, in the correct. Team. Yeah, yeah, that's Great. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I think we can move on from that. I, I, let's stay with Tottenham Hotspur for a second. You know, just while we're talking about car crashes, um, Paul, over on the men's side of things, last we spoke of this hilarious club that brings smiles to our faces regularly. Their manager was taking the piss out of them, which is a beautiful thing. We all enjoyed it. Um, it, It's interesting because I read someone say something on Twitter, and I apologize for not uh, remembering the handle, but I thought it was a brilliant point. Tottenham would probably regard the season they're having as being decent if Arsenal weren't top of the league. We have ruined their, because they're sitting fourth right now. Now, granted, that's with, you know, having played a few games more, but like they're very well poised to potentially finish in the top four again. And, I, you know, obviously they haven't performed well in, in other competitions, which is great. But, like, the fact that we're first makes it impossible for them to enjoy being fourth. And I just love that because it's plunged them into a crisis. But this is where dominoes start to fall. Conte's trying to get sacked. Oh, look, Bayern have sacked Julian Nagelsmann. Kind of a shocking move. But they wanted Tuchel, obviously. They didn't feel they could wait. Maybe they wanted to get him in thinking that he has some kind of uh, hoodoo over Pep and Manchester City for the Champions League. They are one point behind Dortmund in the Bundesliga, but I should point out that they have scored 75 goals and have a 45-goal difference. It's not like they haven't been good. Um, but now that means Nagelsmann is free. What I'm wondering is, obviously, a lot of a lot of talk of Nagelsmann going to Tottenham. There have been some talk of Pochettino. I'm kind of wondering, will Chelsea act quicker and sack Potter to get Nagelsmann in? But then again, they're still in Europe. Would they want to do that now? Paul, do you have any thoughts on on this Nagelsmann sacking and and the or Nagelsmann? Nagelsmann? I'm going with Nagelsmann. Okay, Nagelsmann. It all sounds weird now that I said it. I don't know that it's right. I'll just feel less silly saying it. So I'm going with yeah, Nagelsmann. Yeah, it's like the Bayern thing with Hector, right? Like, unless you're doing it with everyone, you know, batting, bad, batting, yeah, Bellerin. You know, it is what it is. Um, and given the accent he has, I don't think he would complain. But anyway, um, yeah, Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann, regardless. What's your thought on the dominoes that have been set off by that sacking and where the uh, epic steaming pile of crap we call Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> might wind up in their managerial appointment? Yes, it, it's intriguing, but but uh, not necessarily in the good way. I kind of liked it the way it was, uh, delicately balanced on a knife edge, as their whole season has. I thought we had an understanding with Antonio Conte to kind of go like, kind of completely nuts, kind of torch the building, but not actually, you know, pour the whole canister over the place. I just think it was a sweetly poised situation that, I'd happily see run out to the end of the season with with Conte. Um, I don't know if he wanted to uh, blow it all up in that press conference. I know looking at it, you got to say to yourself, he did. I think he was beyond livid that it was 3-1 and then 3-3, and he's just disgusted, could not contain himself. Uh, for, forgot the script a little bit or said, I don't really care what my plans were. Uh, like it just looks bad on him, especially for a guy 
who's who, who a big part of his whole makeup was at least you won't score past us. At least we'll be defensively and uh, secure. And they're making him look bad. Well done, Tottenham. Especially uh, when you've got Cutie Romero. I mean, you, how do you concede goals with that guy back there, <laughs> man? I mean, he's the best. <laughs> they did. They did convince me uh, early on that they'd got themselves a good player with all the hype and all the hype from the pundits and stuff. I mean, I never really watched them before. So I was, I was worried. I was worried. Every time they bring in one of these guys and he's like the answer, I'm always a little worried. And somehow they bring him down to their level of whatever that is. God bless uh, him. Yeah, God bless <laughs> him. And, uh, you know, Son Young min not being good this season, I, I didn't really see that. To go, to fall that far off a cliff, having signed a big contract last summer, having passed up $150 million for Harry Kane, and uh, things are winding down. Uh, it's all very interesting. Um, I don't know if Nagelsmann will fancy that. W- won't he want to do that thing that big managers do where they take some time off and they reflect and they see where they want to go next? That's Madrid, what I'm hoping. Madrid job's coming available, right? Uh, yeah. Um, is, is it? Am I right in saying Ansari's going to Brazil? I, I think it sounds like he is, and a, but because basically Brazil haven't really announced the manager and they've still got like an interim. Um, and it basically sounds like either when the season's over or if and when Real Madrid go out of the Champions League. In fact, Edison said something this week about like wanting to knock them out so that Ancelotti would hurry up into the Brazil job. So Amazing, amazing stuff that people say in this game. Uh, so go ahead, if, Paul, sorry. if Nagelsmann struggled with Bayern... I can't see Real, Real Madrid is like the wrong end of the spectrum for the guy who struggled with big personalities at Bayern. Who I, I, think, I, I think what's interesting about that, though, is like Real, of, of course, like Real have been like the most like extra club for all these years. But actually, if you look at what they're doing transfer wise, you'd say if you take away the name Real Madrid and just look at the players, it, I think it'd be like they've basically they've got these really good technical young up and coming midfielders like Chiumani and Camavinga and I could yeah, see no Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but I, I could see like Nagelsmann molding that into something. But it just depends. Like, have Real Madrid really changed? Um, have they really like because they've gone for like like Real Madrid never used to do that. They never used to go for like young talent but either the Eden Hazard transfer just broke them or <laughs> else they're beginning to appreciate that with the Premier League like Real Madrid is not the like the the muscliest <laughs> kind of club sure. in town anymore and they've you know maybe gone okay we'll get Camavinga we'll get Chumani we'll actually get the guys before they become stars and it just depends on whether they actually follow that through all the way because if they did then Nagelsmann would be a really good coach for them I think yeah, I still struggle to see it though, Tim. I mean, if you struggle with Neuer and Muller, who are at the very like they're at the end of their career. I mean, Real Madrid have a couple of those too, but they speak Spanish. You know, the the, the number of things he would struggle with uh, in terms of major players who are like protecting their legacy. It, everything's great when you're wi- when you're winning at the start, but once things aren't looking good and players are aren't seen in the best light. I just think, man, of all the teams on the planet, Real Madrid, 
after it, it, if the struggles, as they've talked about at, at Bayern, are for the reasons they say. And then he's very systemsy, very committed to his system. And Real Madrid are the most, uh, we'll just vibes this thing. I know, and I agree with your point if they're in this transitionary moment, but like that's a big, I think the culture at Real Madrid is such that, you know, a great fish for him would be a Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Unfortunately, but I mean, there's a lot of buts with that. I can see reasons why it wouldn't be. What about Chelsea sacking? What about Chelsea sacking Potter and and hiring Nagelsmann and then Potter going to Spurs? (laughs) I mean, I think Spurs would actually come out quite quite well if that happened. The Mm. the thing, just I guess to like make it a little bit full circle, is remember that Ancelotti also fell. Foul of the Bayern dressing room, and they all said that he was too hands off. And yeah, um, you know that Bayern dressing room does sound a little bit Goldilocks. You know they do. Well, it's called Hollywood FC for a reason, right? Like yeah. I mean, the players have the ear of of leadership, and like I mean, all they're winning might just low key conceal the fact that they're sort of a train wreck behind the scenes in a way that like a PSG is or a Real Madrid was thought of as being, you know, by the way, you know, Real Madrid's won plenty while being thought of as that kind of place. So I don't know how it'll shake out. I think, um, I think my instinct is that I'd rather he go to Madrid than Spurs. I, I don't think there's a lot of managerial talent out there that I really rate to turn around Tottenham Hotspur. But Nagelsmann's good enough that I, I I would think they'd be in safe hands. I guess the alternative that they'd be looking at is Pochettino. And while he did make them about as, quote, successful, unquote, as they've been in recent years, I, I'm still a big believer that second times around don't tend to work. So if that's where they go, I'd be happy with it. Plus, he played suffer ball and like, yeah, it, it doesn't particularly, particularly bother me if that's where he winds up. Um, and I could see it blowing up faster. It reminds me a little bit of Jose going back to Chelsea type situation. So let's see. Let's see where that lands. We don't need to put. All right, pause. Do we need to put more time into the Not really. The one fear I had with Conte, though, was that he'd win them something, a League Cup. I know he's not very good at cups and stuff, but I just thought that was a, a kind of a fluke. And. Like, there's just something about Tottenham that really genuinely is. It's not just the making fun of them. Uh, you know, Jose coming in, he always wins something. Doesn't matter how dinky the trophy is. He always wins something. Not even close there. Conte, not even close there. There is genuinely something intriguing you know about that club. Like, they're all Levy out and all this stuff. And and I think Giant Gunnar made this point on Twitter. And it's a really fair point. Like, they were a fight relegation type club. He came in and made them one of the, quote, big six. They made a Champions League final. Um, They made a Champions League final, which thankfully Liverpool (laughs) prevented the bad thing from happening. They built a stadium that, while, you know, I think it's antiseptic and it's a a really nice NFL stadium, so congrats to them on that. Like, let's say it. It's a stadium that is far nicer than what you'd expect a club of their cachet and level to have. Like, he's made them a, a... pretty semi-regular fixture in Champions League, top six club with a really nice stadium. And like, they're mad that they haven't won anything, but frankly, like they're punching way above their weight. Like there is a possibility that if he goes and things don't turn around, like that, that there's a, there's a much, much worse uh, world for them in the future. And I, for one, am going to just keep my fingers and toes crossed that that's where we wind up. So yeah, that's, that's my hope there. Let's give a quick whip around on, on Arsenal stuff though, here, um, especially international break stuff. 
Tim, any thoughts on on the Rodri tackle on Odegaard? For those who missed it, basically Odegaard's in the box. Rodri comes through him really aggressively high, studs on the ankle. And I'll say this, Odegaard seemed fine. If the legs planted, it's an ankle breaker. It's a really, really bad one. But his his foot had just come off the ground, so it's more of an impact, you know, push the leg kind of situation. And I think he'll be fine. But I mean, I, I thought it was pretty nasty. I, I don't think players in the moment have the ability to be like, oh, there's Arsenal's captain and talisman. I'm going to take him out for our title run. I just don't. The way the challenge happened, I would be flabbergasted if he had the time to think it through. But do you have any yeah. thoughts beyond? we dodged a bullet there on that particular challenge? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think particularly in the penalty area, because it, sh- it should have been a penalty. And like, not only was the penalty not given, but Erdegaard was booked for protesting, <laughs> which yeah, is amazing. utterly incredible. But yeah, I think definitely not. And, and, and it's like a last ditch tackle. And all that. If it was in the center circle and he just booted him or something like, yeah, that, then I think that's definitely, a, you know, targeting him. But like, this was I mean, a very poor attempt at a block, but, I think he was just rushing out to block the ball and it was kind of just happened to be Erdegaard. But I think what's kind of interesting here is the way that Manchester City um, have, shall we say, treated this international break overall. And I think that fed some of the... Uh, some of the speculation, some of the innuendo when the clip of that tackle surfaced, you've got like <laughs> Erling Haaland like having a, uh, he should be out for 13 days, uh, four hours, 15 minutes and 34 seconds with this injury. Sounds um, size <laughs> groin. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's gone to Pep's Hospital. <laughs> in Bar- in Barcelona um, for, for those of you um, who watch this on YouTube you'll have got the full benefit of that um, I'm sure those of you just listening to it really understood what happened there but he's gone to Pep's Magic Hospital um, mm-hmm. and, an oil you know, change yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where Phil Foden's um, appendix will probably be seen to and he'll come out with a jetpack um, okay now I don't want to go all conspiracy <laughs> there's definitely something alright so can this is not no bullshit, okay? So Phil Foden needs appendicitis. I believe that. I believe that. And he might miss a game or two. And yeah, what yeah. do you know? Because it's England- a week into the international break, right? Yeah. It's not. Right. Yeah. So he might miss a game or two. But what do you know? The England lineups just come out. And guess what, guys? <laughs> James Madison's come in for Jack Grealish. Grealish goes to the bench. Because, you know, <clears throat> now that Foden's getting surgery, we can't have... Manchester City, I mean, Bukayo Saka is obviously going to play. He's starting, right? Alexander Zinchenko starting. It, it, you, you have to admit, Paul, the conspiracy theorist in you, you got Rodri taking out Odegaard, you got Holland sitting out an international break, you got Foden gets appendicitis, which I, I genuinely believe happened. But as that is announced, his Man City, the guy who probably, you know, might start for him or is one of the guys that they need, he's not risked against against Ukraine now and, and Madison, who's quite a good player in his own right, comes in for a start, which we have not, I mean, has Madison started for Southgate in any game that mattered? This is probably his first start in a competitive fixture. And it just so happens to be at the expense of Grealish who gets the day off on the same day when it's announced that Foden isn't available. It's hard not to start putting two and two and two together and getting 222. And like, meanwhile, all the Arsenal players are out on international break and they're all playing except William Saliba, who, you know, had to miss a game for Arsenal to get that break. So are, are you inclined to indulge these, these kind of conspiracy thing, uh, 
thoughts because I'm not inclined when it comes to referees, but I'm more than inclined when it comes to Manchester City sliding huge brown envelopes filled with cash under hotel room doors. I'm, I'm very ready for that. Well, I mean, it's definitely a thing. Uh, it was very clearly a thing back in the day with Ferguson. Well, well covered, well reported. Like managers do this stuff. Um, City have fourteen or sixteen games to go in the season. Uh, they're looking at us with ten, <clears throat> and Pep's working out how he keeps his players fresh. I think more for the Champions League than for the league, but also for the league. Uh, here, here's a bit of those conspiracy theories that I would go all in on. There's no way Rodri doesn't come into this game thinking he's going to get a chance late on in the game where he may get Odegaard on his own. And I don't think he needs to think about it. Like, he knows who the enemy is. Uh, You look at at the Norwegian team, and the only player he sees on that team is Odegaard all game in his area. Uh, the beautiful thing about the penalty area is it's the one area where you can arrive late. And if you arrive late enough and the guy gets his shot off for some weird reason, not only is it not a penalty, for obvious reasons, it can't be a foul either. Like the one thing, uh, and I agreed with this analysis afterwards, that uh, can't be a penalty because he'd already got a shot off and it was way later, is some weird logic that comes in the penalty area. You see it all the time. A guy coming crashing in on an attacker, and the the attacker gets the shot off, and then like the whole body comes through, wipes the guy out. But that is not a foul. A bit like uh, goalkeepers clearing players out. <laughs> Tim, you were going to say? I, I was going to say, like, why doesn't that logic then apply if you're in midfield and you get your pass off? Like, you pass the ball and someone smashes into your ankle afterwards. That is, yeah. no one ever says, "Well, he got the pass off." Like. Yeah, of course he got the pass off. The tackle's late. That's the whole point. (laughs) Of course, the ball is not there. That is why it's a foul. So it's a nonsense. nonsense. You get the pass off. It says in the laws of the game, I'm able to run up to you and commit whatever grievous bodily harm I want because you've had the chance to get the pass away. It's very simple. It's very weird. And I kind of get it too. Like I kind of like it in general, apart from when it's on my player, that – like it's the DNA of football. It's always been that way. That in the box, the kind of the excitement, the last ditch moment, players s- smashing into tackles to try and stop the shot. Like it's just like that encapsulates what goes on in the box in high pitch moments in games. And how could you re- like? I kind of get why they kept that, but it's bananas, absolutely bananas when you see a situation like that. And, like, I got that uh, – quite a few people on the Twitters were saying, but, like, he's already got the shot, shot off and it's after – I get that logic. Like, I feel that's how football works, but it's absolute nuts. And I think there's no way Rodri doesn't know what he's doing. And there's only one player in that team that he cares about. And it's the player who's in his area, in his zone. They're 3-0 up. What the fuck's he doing it for anyway? Yeah, he didn't want a, great, if he didn't want a red card. Yeah. What's he doing it for? He's only doing it for he's got a he's not it's not like a last ditch thing in his mind in that they've got this. The game's under control. He's not in some kind of weird red mist like for me anyway. Like he, it's a really guy, good point. He plays at the top level. He's got a calm mind. This is not the biggest game in his life. It's under complete control. 
he picks, he's like, oh yeah, I feel this one. I, I won't get there in time. Perfect. And I mean, he goes in with a lot of force. Like it, it's not. It's yeah, vicious. I mean, it's vicious. Well, why don't we, why don't we move off that? Was, yeah, uh, Tim, you have a final thought? I, I was just going to say, actually, I like, I don't know whether I should you or want to do this. promised me you but. weren't going to lean in, by the way. That was our <laughs> oh, yes. pre-pod yeah, yeah, yeah. promise. <laughs> yes. So uh, to bring some balance to this, to be fair, because I, I think what we could fair. have been <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who wants to be fair? But like, but because I, I feel like what maybe we would have been building to is our Arsenal have to manage these international breaks better. We have to start getting our elbows in and stuff to bring some balance to it. If you're a Man City fan looking at us, you'd say that Arsenal have three Brazilian players and none of them were called up now. And we happen to have the, the former technical coordinator of the Brazilian national team now. I, I debunk that on a on a you know Gabriel Jesus was never going to get called up because of his fitness. Gabriel Magalhaes, for some reason, uh, Brazil just don't want to select him for reasons I really don't understand. Not least because they don't have any left-footed centre backs. It's very weird. Um, and m- like the Martinelli one, it, like that's nonsense <laughs> that they're calling mm. up Anthony and not Martinelli. But I also debunk that by the fact that Chite is not there anymore. If Chite was there you know, Edu's best mate. Like, like for example, when they weren't called up in, I think, the September internationals where, like, Gabriel Jesus wasn't called up and Martinelli wasn't called up and Chite had been at the Emirates the week before. Like, yeah, 100%, I believe, that Edu was on the WhatsApp uh, with Chite <laughs> before that. This time, I, I think less so. I think the other one maybe you'd look at to bring balance to this is that Arsenal were able to send their physio or sorry, one of their physios with uh, Thomas Partey to Ghana, um, which, you know, is obviously like he didn't go there unsolicited. That was obviously agreed with Ghana. Um, and you can just imagine. I, what, I thought like, the heavy coat, Tim, I don't know if you saw any of the video of our physio walking around with the heavy coat and the shotgun. Or like Thomas Partey was like five feet taller and in a very, very long jacket with very different <laughs> legs all of a sudden. If we're going to talk about jackets, by the way, have you seen the Pope's upper jacket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, obviously that that's quite an unusual situation. I think you don't usually see that like a club is allowed to bring their own physio on mm-hmm. international duty. And you can imagine like what he must be doing. You know, you know, did you ever do that thing when you, maybe not even when you were younger, but like when you were trying to get out of a bill and you just pluck your own hair and put it in the soup and say, there's a hair in my soup. I want money off that. That's probably like what the Arsenal physio is doing. He's probably like, oh, look at that scratch on his knee. That wasn't here. That wasn't here when we left. And it's like, but you just jabbed a pencil into his leg. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And you can't prove it. So like, I, you know, if I were a City fan, which thankfully I'm not looking at this, I'd say, you know, you guys have been able to like get your physio um, a free holiday to Ghana, um, <laughs> which, Fair you enough, know, man. And, and we'll turn up at the Leeds game with Visit Ghana um, on our sleeves instead of Rwanda, um, probably. I'll, I'll say this. I, this international break has reminded me why I am shedding no tears about being out of Europa League because every minute Bukayo Saka plays, I'm freaking out. Every minute, you know, every tackle that goes in on Odegaard, I'm freaking out. And like Man City, they not only have to do this in the league, they're going to have to do it in the Champions League, they're going to have to do it in the FA Cup, and we have just those nine games left, uh, 10 games left, pardon me. So uh, 
it is, you can see a path to us being in a, in a better position. And to be fair to Manchester City, one of the reasons they are probably trying to get their players, as you alluded to, Tim, out of any international competition they can is they have so many more games coming in the run-in. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I want to shift gears. We got a little Emil Smith-Rowe stuff to talk about, a little run-in stuff to talk about. But of course, we have to talk about Athletic Greens AG1. Um, I didn't have a transition there. I, I will tell you this. So I am I am suffering right now uh, with a condition today that you don't want to know about. But suffice it to say, when I'm not in front of this microphone, I am uh, seated in a small room of the house that uh, has a sink. On the shitter. Yeah, all right, there it is. <laughs> I'm suffering pretty bad, you guys. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, I have had some gut health concerns, and I turned to AG1 uh as it relates to that, because I, I had heard from a friend of mine that it, it had been uh, helpful for that for him. It's really, really made a difference for me. It made a difference for me with that for energy. I was drinking way too much coffee. I still drink it, but I, I've been able to cut back. AG1 is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. I mean, it's all those things. And like, I had a shelf full of gummies and you look on the back and sugar's like the first or second ingredient in most of them. Think how much money and time we waste on those gummies, not doing anything. Uh, AG1 is a one, like a one-stop shop for all the things that you want to get help with, right? So your vitamins, your your uh, gut health, your energy recovery. It's designed by athletes for athletes, so it's great for athletic performance as well. By the way, lifestyle friendly, keto, vegan, paleo, um, dairy free, gluten free, all of that. And uh, it's less than the cup of expensive coffee a day. So go for this. I, I think it's something you'll really like. Uh, we've, well, I'll just speak for me. I've found the benefits of it to be good. And I, I think you will as well. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out. And... Your body is healthy. Your mind is part of your body. Get your mind healthy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy. It's not online therapy. It's therapy. It's just therapy that's easier to access, that's more flexible and convenient. BetterHelp is a way to get yourself using therapy as a solution to a healthier, happier life. Because not taking care of your mind doesn't make any sense. It is the thing that is most determinative of outcomes in life in terms of your happiness, your success, your thriving, the happiness of those around you. And the thing that I've learned as I've gotten older is your partner, your spouse, your friends, your family, like they're there for you. They should be there for you. Hopefully you have that. Not everybody has that. But they're not professionals at helping you work on things you want to improve. And, and that's where therapy comes in. So you're going to be able to find uh, a therapist that fits the needs you have. You're going to be able to get the right connection with a therapist. You can go camera on or off, whatever's most comfortable for you. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Last but not least, Shady Rays, real simple. 50% off in, on two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses with the code ArsenalVision at ShadyRays.com. Shady Rays are great sunglasses. They have all the styles you like. They're really high quality. They're polarized lenses. They also have custom uh, snow goggles like uh, for skiing, ski goggles if you want to use those. The thing that I love about this, this, this is the whole ball of wax for me. Think about the last time you bought sunglasses. Odds are you did it because you lost or broke a pair. 
They are saying to us that they will do a lost or broken replacement guarantee. So if you lose or break your Shady Rays, they will send you another pair. They've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger, which is incredible. Love that, right? Our fundraiser's getting ready to start. We love philanthropy. And there's a free 30-day trial. So if you don't like them, you just send them back. I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. It's basically two for one. 50% off two pairs, two plus pairs, with code Arsenal Vision. Lost or, lost or broken replacement guarantee. I mean, just go ahead and do it. Check them out. ShadyRays.com. Use code Arsenal Vision for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Tim, is that enough of that? Indeed. But no, by no, the way, yeah. Shady Ray, I, you know, I don't know mm -hmm. how many people know this song, but there's a great song called Shady Lane by Pavement, which could be mm -hmm. very, very easily reappropriated for that brand. Yeah. I mean, they should definitely look into that. I'll, um, I'll mention that to them. I think, yes. uh, I think they'll be very I mean, the line's literally Shady Lane, everybody wants one. So, you know, like it, it writes itself. Tim, you're a genius. I should be in marketing. <laughs> Tim, Tim left us for a marketing company. Um, okay, well, look, uh, Paul, I'll turn this over to you because I know you are wearing a Smith Rowe Records t-shirt right now. You do want to speak on Smith Rowe any chance you get. He scored a goal for the U21s. Is he going to score any goals for Arsenal during the run-in? What's your take on Emil Smith Rowe and his slow but steady attempt to return from an injury that, let's face it, he's had for years. And, and you know, my take... There was a lot of paranoia when Martinelli was coming back. Arteta hates Martinelli, hates him. <clears throat> or maybe he was just trying to be careful with him because he'd had a major knee op and was coming back from it. And what do you know, that paid off. Maybe this is in the same vein. Uh, having said that, I, I think Arteta's made some slightly more pointed comments about Smith Rowe than he ever made about Martinelli. Martinelli, his quote was, I love him more than you. Uh, with Smith Rowe, it's been a little bit more of a a stick than a carrot, a little bit more of a push. What's your take on uh, Smith Rowe scoring a goal in the international uh, break and and where he might come in for us during the running, if at all? I like it. That's what I think about the goal. Mm -hmm. um, it was very Smith Rowe, apart from the fact that it was with his head, which is not necessarily what I associate with him. Uh, now I didn't watch the game, but he zooms into the box and, and it just feels like one of those in fact, he arrives when he should have arrived. It feels like a classic he arrives late because he comes from deeper. He doesn't arrive late. He arrives exactly on time, cushioned header, adjusts his body, slides it into the corner. Very, very nice. Um, there's one or two things going on with his injury. Either it was a thing that needed to be fixed, which is how they phrased it at one point. It's been an ongoing issue with him for a couple of years now. And so he's got that in his head all the time, trusting his body, managing his body in and out of injuries, not just when we didn't see, the, not just when we knew he was injured, but when we didn't know he was carrying something. Um, the levels he could go to if he can start to trust his body uh, just make you think and dream. Um, where I'd like to pivot with this is that there, there are 10 games to go there are a number of players who may play a very, very small number of minutes, but have a very, very critical impact in this uh, run-in. <clears throat> and it can happen very quickly. I was just intrigued. I started off looking at Trossard. Um, like, he's only just arrived. He's played He's played in, hang on, how many games? He's uh, Leandro, there you are. He's played uh, 10 games. He's had six starts. He's had the equivalent of five 90s in terms of minutes. He's got six assists. He's 
second in our team for the season in terms of assists, with tied with Odegaard. Now, he didn't have as many goals. He was the one goal. Um, that's a phenomenal contribution, uh, arriving back, arriving into this squad and fitting in. Uh, the only person who, who's beating him for in those stats per 90 when you add his goals and assists is one Reese Nelson, who's somehow miraculously got, what is it, three goals, uh, I barely remember him playing, and two assists. Hmm. Uh, and one of those, a huge moment. Um, and that's what this season is about for Smith Rowe, to find that five, ten minutes where we've we've been doing the good work, we're pushing, we're chasing, but it hasn't happened. We're tied at 2-2 or 1-1 or we need a goal from somewhere. And Smith Rowe comes on with 10 or 15 minutes with tired legs and arrives in the box and cushions a header. And it really doesn't matter what else he did or didn't do for the rest of the season. And then he gets to the summer, his body holds up, he gets confident, and then he goes again. The th- now, the other yeah. piece of it that you talked about was the Mikel Arteta's pointed comments. But uh, you know my view on this. They're not pointed as such. Uh, I don't know who was interviewed recently. I think it might have been Ramsdale who talked about Arteta and how he talks with and to the players. And he says he talks to each one differently. And I think that's the key with Smith Rowe. When Smith Rowe got the number 10, when he got the, the new contract, you could say he made very pointed comments to him then. He's looking at the different players. He's telling Smith Rowe, be the big player. And he wants to say it out in public. And it, I just don't see criticism there. How could he criticize the guy? The guy's been injured, right? He's mm-hmm. saying, he's talking to that guy, seeing that what he needs is to be told to be a big player. And he won't need to say that to certain other players. Other players, he'll need to jab in a different way. I think he's just getting Smithrow mentally prepared to do something big this year, even if it's in uh, small small parcels of moments in games, critical contributions. If Smithrow didn't play for nine games, but did a Reese Nelson against Bournemouth in a 10-minute spot and won a game we weren't going to win otherwise, he'll cruise out of this season and into the summer. They all just want to do something important to get this over the line. And also, it's, like it's in, to- in that game, Paul, like Smithrow was probably the guy earmarked to come on for the last 20 yeah. minutes. But because Trossard got injured, Smithrow had to come on earlier and he didn't have enough minutes in his legs because he'd only just come back. So he had to come right. off for Reese Nelson. If Trossard's calf doesn't go, it's Smithrow that comes on and maybe he gets, I mean, you know, like it's all very sliding doors and sure. the flap of a butterfly's wings, but maybe he gets that moment instead of Reese Nelson. He must have been watching it from the bench thinking, man, I got the 60 shit minutes. <laughs> when, it, when like kitchen sink football started happening, I had to go and sit down and watch it. But uh, if you don't mind me picking up the baton on this, because I, I think this is fascinating. And uh, I wrote a piece last week about that kind of um, peeling the onion of the squad. And, you know, you get those like we're in the stage of the squad build where like the one contract players mm. are maybe going to start to drift away like your Tierney's, your Holdings. And I speculated that Smith Rowe might be one of those. I, and look, I, I don't 
I don't want to go mega on this because I was one of those people who thought that Arteta didn't like Martinelli. Not not for any other reason than I thought he probably thought, oh no, Martinelli is too much of a wild card. I'm playing in a system here. I want a player who plays within a system. But actually what he did was he just coached him to do that. He just like sanded some of the rough edges off of him. So it, it was it was all kind of fine. But there are, there are some alarm bells for me. Paul just referenced the kind of... I thought the comments when he signed his new contract were a bit lukewarm because he kind of said he's not ready for the number 10. And he said, oh, I'd, I'd rather a player who's not ready for it ask for it. And and that, that sounded slightly lukewarm to me. The other thing is, I kind of think looking at the forward line, you know, he's got his trossard, right? Which I think long-term might spell trouble for Nketiah. Uh, maybe even short-term to medium-term might spell trouble for Nketiah because he's got Saka and Martinelli. He's got Jesus. He's got Trossard, who's like the Jota, who can fill it, who can plug in and play anywhere. The, the players he's really gone for in terms of another wide forward, and he pivoted to Trossard. And like I say, I'm not sure Trossard is going to be like the wide player. I think he might be the the more false ninety type guy. Clearly, I think what he wants is a one-on-one beast because he's yeah. gone for Hafinha and he's gone for Mudrik. And what do those two players have in common? They're the kind of, I will kill you if I get one-on-one with you, if you give me green grass to run into. Like I, th- I think that's where he wants to go in the next wide forward, and I don't think that's who Smith Rowe is. I do think the information, I think that, I can't remember whether it came from... Um, James Benge potentially, um, but around Smithrow, you know, maybe training as the left eight. For me, that's the role he has to try and nail. That's yep. the one that's coming up. I don't really think if if he's going to be a wide forward, and I like him as a wide forward. He's a wide forward in the youth teams. I, I you know, I'm personally very, very high on Smith Rowe as long as he can stay fit. Which I think this surgery will sort that out. I really do, particularly at this stage of his career. But I'm just not sure that's what Arteta wants in the wide forward area. I think he wants a killer um, rather than a glue player. So for me, mm. and, and if I'm Smith Rowe, I'm looking at the fact that in the last two transfer windows, we bought Fabio Vieira and Leandro Trossard. And, you know, look, I'll just pinch the line I, I wrote in my blog last week, which is like, I'd look at that the same way your cat looks at the cage when you bring <laughs> it down from the loft and kind of go, uh, are we going somewhere? Are we? Um, I, I think he has to try and nail that left eight role. And if I were him, that that's kind of what I'd be thinking of. I'd be thinking, okay, the writing's on the wall a little bit here, um, you know, in in some of those other wide forward positions. But for the end of the season, it's there. Like it's definitely there. He's not going to start ahead of Saka and Martinelli. That's fine as long as they are they are fit. He will not need to. His for him, it's about coming on from the bench. And like you say, it, even if it is that moment, I agree with Paul on that. It doesn't have to be like Smith Rowe's like a good glue continuity player. We kind of don't need that from him. Um, and actually, what he was good at last season was coming on from the bench and scoring goals. And that's the thing for the next like eight weeks. That's what we really want. And again, agree with Paul. If we get like, I mean, the Reese Nelson moment is a bit supernova, but if we get an 80th minute winner out of him because he came off the bench, for me, that makes his entire season at this point because that three points, or sorry, that two points that that goal gives us 
could get, could be one of the many pieces that gives us the title. And it's it's about getting through this next eight, eight weeks and just looking for that that big contribution. Yeah, uh, I'll come back to you on this, Paul. But I, I want to throw my really dumb contributions into this discussion, ruin the discussion as much as possible, and then let you recover it. Um, first of all, I, I would. I would be surprised if Smithrow plays more than 30 minutes the rest of the season combined. Like, that would surprise me. There's a bad um, old take. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'll be under 30. And I'll, I'll tell you, part of it is the Nelson thing. Nelson has put himself in a position now where when the manager looks down the bench and he needs to bring someone on, he's going to bring on Nelson over Smithrow because he's seen him do it. And he trusts his body and he trusts his output. He's put himself in that position in the pecking order. By the way, I want to caveat something on my 30 minutes because it might be wrong for a very obvious reason. If we're putting up a lot of four nils and five nils and four ones, I mean, he, he may actually play quite a bit more. You know, three goals to the good with seven, you know, with 20 minutes to play, he might come on and get those minutes. So I might need to revise my thought there. But um, what I mean is I don't think he'll be called on in important situations. And I think that's unfortunate. I, I think he missed his window. Smithrow needed to be fit when Jesus was out because there really was a need for goal scoring, for creativity. He, you know, he might've gotten some false nine time. Martinelli might've played. If Smithrow was back and really firing, maybe, maybe Martinelli plays nine and Smithrow plays off the left or the game where Martinelli's dropped. Maybe it's Smithrow that comes in one. It's not that long ago. People were saying Smithrow is better than Martinelli and should be starting ahead of him. A lot of time and a lot of uh, events have passed since then. But like, I, I just think he, he was the player who needed to establish himself during the Jesus injury. And I'm going to read you a quote from Mikel Arteta that I think backs that up a little bit. Um, Arteta said, uh, da, 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 da. I closed the window, so I'm just going to guess at what he said because I kind of vaguely remember it. The quote was essentially, he needs to get up to speed quickly and show that he can get on this train quick enough to make the impact we hope he's going to have this season. Um, it was, but essentially, I'm getting the quote wrong. You can Google it. It was essentially along the lines of, he. this was in January, like early January, Mikel said he needs to be up to speed and on this train quickly if he's going to have the impact we expect him to have this season and show that he can get involved. Like, Because the train was moving fast, right? Like Jesus was going to come back. We're signing Leandro Trossard. The, the team is playing at a very high level. There was a window where we needed him. And then I think this is another interesting quote. Um, this one more recent. This comes from about two weeks ago where he says, um, this was about whether he was going to play in the sporting tie, which again, you know, did he, did he play less in that tie than we thought? He knows how much we love him and he knows how much we missed him and how much we need his qualities. Now he needs to prove it. He needs to prove how much he wants to win, how much he's going to contribute to this team to be better and win. He's going to have to show that to get in the team. I mean... It's it, a lot it, of stick, isn't it? There's it, a lot of stick. And when you decide that a player is a carrot or a stick player, ideally you only want to hit them with the stick a couple of times <laughs> before they kind of get it you know that's that's where my brain is a bit as well i have to say yeah and and it, by the way i don't think it's like harsh and oh my god what's he you know what's he saying but like it, it is you know it is pretty straightforward to me that he's throwing down the gauntlet a little bit right um and that's that's the interesting thing yeah here's the jump on the train quote if you guys want to hear it he knows uh that that he has the space in the squad to fulfill his potential. We really like him. I really like him, and he is a very important player for us. This is, And again, this is back in January, okay? Um, I have this as 
January 7th, I think. But he was asking a question. Hang on. Uh, Well, I I don't have the, but here's what he says. This is a specific quote. He knows that he now, he needs to jump on the train fast enough to have the impact that we all hope he can have this season. Um, he can play as left attacking midfielder on the right. He can play off the left as well. Those qualities within those units on the outside is something that complements really well with, we will exploit that. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, look, Paul, I, I don't want to, I'm not getting doomy and gloomy on Smith Rowe's career. This is not a long-term thing. I'm <coughs> thinking more short-term right now. I think you have a manager who's challenging the player to show he's ready and to live the way he needs to live and to work the way he needs to work to get in the team and have the confidence in his body to get in the team. But it doesn't scream to me that that he's ready to just give him that opportunity, that he believes he's ready to take that opportunity. Not yet. Uh, so if I remember the context, he was asked a question about whether Smithrow can have a big impact. And Smithrow was just back, just yeah. not injured. And, he, you know, if you take the first line, it's it's kind of reasonable. And the rest of it's really good. He's saying, yeah, we need him to get him going. He can have a big impact, blah, blah, like. It is a little bit tone dependent. Yeah, just, but, just to be clear, Paul, one thing. My point on that quote was more yeah. about that his window was in the, we hadn't signed Troussard yet. Jesus was out. There was a real need. If you remember back to that time, there was a real need. Then we get Troussard. Now Jesus is back. I'm wondering if if the window was no. then and he, no. he wasn't there for no. him. He was never going to play false nine. Um, I know a lot of people have a lot of mileage in that, but like it's just, I'm sorry, he doesn't have that kind of craft, that kind of, you can play false nine, but you got to be a sneaky little bastard. Or uh, off the left if Martinelli was going to move yeah. central or, you know. But here's my take on Smith Rose. Tim's exactly right. I've always had him down for that left eight slot. Mm. But we've got to do that thing Clive always tells us to do, which is stop foc- obsessing about the first 11. Yeah. Uh, Pep plays Grealish and Mares. Or in the next game, he plays Foden and Silva as the two wide players. Now, I know those are the wide players. We're going to be in two big competitions next year. And if we have the horsepower, we'll go in three or four properly. There's going to be 55, 60 games. Smith Rowe could have a brilliant career at Arsenal, being the uh, the first string alternate in every second game in all the, the cups. Yeah, yeah, uh, thirty minutes, and I think like he's also a kid, right? We get used to these guys. Our young guys have done so brilliantly for us: Martinelli, Saka, Smith Rowe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that we forget how some of them really kids. Now, uh, Smith Rowe's serious about his career and focused, and but like. To me, he's the most kiddish of all of them. I mean, you see Martinelli with Fabio Vieira, and it looks like two kids on a school trip as they hang around together. But he's super intense. And Saka, just an old pro from the time he was 18 or 19. But also, you see the side of him as a kid. I think, you know, Smith Rowe was talking about having to give up sweets and toffees and stuff and having to eat vegetables. Like, he's a kid. And I think he psychologically maybe a guy who at the moment is still coming into the idea that he's really a premier league player and a serious honcho and he might need another year or two before he's demanding to start every game and all that kind of stuff he might be absolutely brilliant for us as the rotation option 
in kind of the Champions League game or the league game against Bournemouth next season or whatever, uh, partnered with somebody else, rotating, coming on, doing 30 minutes, playing all the league games, et cetera, et cetera. And he'll be perfectly happy potentially playing big, you know, playing lots of, having lots of starts in in the Premier League, in the Champions League, in the Cups, uh, lots of minutes, lots of big contributions as he feels with him, as he becomes within himself a true man in the Premier League. And I think he's still a boy in the Premier League. And, but he'll still have big moments potentially for us this season. I think it's all good. I don't, Smith Rowe will be with us for quite a few years, I think. As long as his body holds up, I think in a year or two, it'll be when he's psychologically where a Saka or a Martinelli is now, where they expect to be starting and they're ready to be starting. Smithrow would like to be starting. It's not quite the same thing. Yeah. I mean, just to be clear, right? Like, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think Smithrow's goose is cooked by any means, but I, I don't see him having a major impact this run in. And that leaves us in the summer with a manager who hasn't really had a chance to see him prove it, who's trying to build a team that can now not just compete to win the Premier League, but compete to win the Champions League, which is genuinely the next stage of the process. And like, you have to decide if ML Smith Rose is a big part of that equation, a big piece of that puzzle. And it's a big roll of the dice on someone who you likely will not have seen play much in two seasons straight, whose body has let him down in the past, who hopefully is fit now. All of us want to see Emil Smith-Rowe succeed at Arsenal and be an Arsenal player long-term. All of us. We're invested in that. And the talent is clearly there. I think it's going to be hard for Mikel to, to commit to that as part of the project, given what he's seen so far. Um, doesn't mean it can't happen. And you need a big squad for where we're headed. So we'll see. You know, we'll see where that goes. But I mean, if you start believing that we're looking at Rice, or we're looking at Caicedo, we're looking, the places we're looking this summer are six and eight. That's what we're linked with. You know, and, and Trissard's going to play on the left and Martinelli's going to play off the left and, and Fuller and Balogun's going to come back and, and, you know, he's going to say, where's my position? Am I a backup striker? Am I, am I off the left? That's another thing, Tim. Like, Balogun, you know, he's, he's doing the tour of the United States of America these days and getting ready to be America's number nine, I guess, um, which would be an interesting development. But on the back of what he's done in France, he has every right to expect to come back to Arsenal and be in the plan. Now, I'm not saying he will be. Maybe he gets sold. Maybe Eddie gets sold. Who the heck knows what happens? But Bellerin's, I mean Bellerin's, uh, uh, Balogun's trajectory is also part of this equation. So do you have a thought Biogen. on- It's what? pronounced Biogun. Biogun, <laughs> yeah. Biogun. Biogun. He's really cool. bidding for a place in the U.S. squad, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Cultural. Cultural. Foyerin Biogun. I mean, where where- where do you see that uh, going in terms of his role for us and, and maybe the knock-on effects for other players that see those positions there? And by the way, just before we get into like the, the, the rending of flesh and pulling of hair, like this is what happens when a team gets good. Places yeah, yeah. get harder to come by. The yeah, level man. goes up. Very good players can't get in because there are better players ahead of them, right? Like th there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, there's something very right about that. I mm -hmm. mean, you want the kind of situation that Man City have or Liverpool have had where really good players are sitting on the bench because other really good players have earned the spot ahead of them. So 
I'm not saying and this then is a they headache. Sell them to teams who then become their title rivals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then they sell Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, and that team wins the title. Perfect. Let's not do that part. Uh, but, but so, I mean, where do you see this in, in influencing the the blueprint? Yeah, I, I think this is really, really interesting. And, and again, like another reason that, like, Inketia signed a contract last summer, and and like. He, you know, he must be feeling uncomfortable at the moment because, like, Trossard's come in, done such a good job. Balogun's uh, doing such a good job in France. Like, that's a very, you know, like, oh wow, like I've, I signed the contract, but I did, I haven't arrived. You know, I, I think that's really interesting. I'm kind of with. Um, I know Paul said this a couple of times. I think like a Premier League loan um, might be, might be the next kind of spot for Balogun unless he gets to that. And and look, he's much earlier in his career, but this, like the Inketia Balogun thing, reminds me a bit of Leno Martinez. Um, you know, but like Martinez had arrived at a point in his career where he was like, "No, nah, I want to play. I just want to go and be the number one somewhere," which is a completely understandable decision given the years that preceded it. Um, and you know, look, the guys won the World Cup, so how can you argue with that anyway? Mm, and, yeah. and Arsenal had that juggling decision of which one of these do we keep? And actually, they could have, they really could have gone either way. I, I don't think there's, honestly, I don't think, I said it at the time and I'll say it again, I think they're like good upper mid table goalkeepers, both of them. Um, to be honest, so I, I wasn't really that fussed, but we, we went with what we knew in Leno. Um, and so it, it'll only be if Balogun comes back and says like, you know, uh, back me or sack me kind of thing, play me or sell me. Otherwise I think like a, a loan to a Premier League club would be, would be a really good idea. And I, I think there'd be no shortage of suitors as well for that. He's, he's played in the championship at Middlesbrough, um, you know, gone and gone and done it in France as well. So, and, and particularly on loan, I think like, you know, for a club who perhaps couldn't be a hundred percent convinced that they might survive, like a loan option might might really might really suit them. Someone like Crystal Palace, who basically haven't had a striker, I think, since Ian Wright left, basically like thirty odd years ago, they've not had a striker. So, you know, that that might be an attractive option for them. So, I, I kind of think that's the way it will probably shake out, unless he comes back and says, "No, I either want to be." in or out but um you know and i'm sure we'll get into this but it looks like he's going to pick the us um as his national team i mean i i did like for a bit of work i did a bit of research on some of the teams in coming into the world cup and if he chooses to play for the us i don't think there's a lot of competition for that number nine spot so i think he could sit on the bench at arsenal and play that um but you know he might look at it he might look at it as a confluence of events and be like look I'm, I'm making a choice internationally. I'm going to go and be the number nine that the US have wanted for years and years and years. And, and like, this is it. Like, I feel like my career has come to this point where I want something solid now. He might, he might make that decision, but I, I really hope that we can send him to a Premier League club on loan for a year. And then this time next year, come to that decision, see a bit more of Eddie, see if he can evolve, see if he can come towards the team, see if he's still you know, maybe he just comes in and scores important goals every now and then, which would kind of be fine as well. I feel like in a year would be in a better place to make the decision. And I don't think, like if Balogun went to a Premier League club on loan and killed it, 
he'd have lots of value. In Ketia, I think even if he did nothing next season, would have plenty of value still in the market. So I don't think we'd be under pressure. Um, I, d- I certainly don't think we're under pressure at the moment unless it comes from from one of those players. So I, I hope that it's a Premier League loan. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, look, if he becomes USA's number nine and he bangs in the goals for them, commercially that could be dynamite for Arsenal. But uh, you guys would probably know um, more about that than me. Uh, maybe KSE are in his ear right now. All I can think is if he becomes important for Arsenal, God forbid we have to watch him fly all the way to you know Costa Rica to play a CONCACAF qualifying game on, on a rough pitch. You know, the CONCACAF qualifying is is not exactly the elite level of football, let me tell you. Um, so I think we can just about leave there, Paul. I'll give you a final thought, but I, I just want to congratulate both of you. We somehow made this a podcast, and like with nothing really to talk about, nothing going on, and probably no listeners, let's be fair, with three different recording errors along the way, uh, we've made it to the end. So, Paul, final thought? Yeah, I mean, Balogun's got to be looking at Harry Kane in the England shirt thinking, that fucker will never retire. And he'll never be forced out of the England setup. Like, Harry Kane will leave the England setup when he chooses to, and he's going going to go for every record on the planet. He'll want to play all the games. Um, Whereas he he could have a real shot at being the established striker for the U.S. He could be the U.S. number nine in a World Cup in the United States and Canada yeah. and Mexico. Like, yeah, yeah. That's probably what they're trying to sell to him. And they're saying to him, you know, think, think of the boot deal. Think of the shirt deal. Think think of the image rights deal, Fuller. And if you're, you know, America's number nine at a World Cup on home soil. Like, it's a, to be fair, it's a pretty compelling offer. You know? And the number of American owners in the Premier League and everywhere else just keeps going up and up. Uh, like... Or you can watch Harry Kane dragging his corpse around the pitch into his 34th and 35th year, breaking incredible records as never before. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I think we'll leave it there. I have a heck of a surgery job to do, not on Phil Foden's appendix, but on the uh, audio from this. Bring your audio to Pep's hospital in Barcelona. They do all sorts, all sorts. Like it's not just surgeries. It'll it'll sound like a Jackson 5 album by the time they're done with it. (laughs) You know what? We may be on to something. Uh, We've got a lot of fun um, Patreon content coming this week, including I think we're going to do an Academy and Loney update. Uh, So Fuller and Balgan might get mentioned again, among others. Uh, And and of course, we'll have a main pot at the end of the week. And then then our fundraiser kicks off April 1st. And it is the most important and uh, rewarding thing we do not just as a podcast, but as a community all year long. So I hope you will get involved and you'll have the chance to win uh, VIP box seats to Brighton at home in May. Uh, Not just that, but with the podcasters and not just that, but to be a part of the live broadcast of The Breakdown, uh, the show that Arsenal puts together on match days. So that'll be fun. Keep an eye out for that. That's Uh, one way to get a ticket. Yeah, no no kidding. Just win it by donating some money to a good cause. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants Paul. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. My name is Yankee Gunner. You can find me on Twitter at Elliot Smith. Strike that, reverse it. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 leads no. Mm-hmm.